Fantastic. Good morning, everyone. It's, it's great to be here together to worship and to uh, grow together as the community here at St. James. And um, this week we have uh, the passage that contains our verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I don't know if you spotted it, it's worded slightly differently in the versions that we've got this morning, but it's in there. And I think it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, I just want to start off with um, a personal uh, story. Uh, I had the great privilege of growing up in a uh, Christian household. Uh, my mum and dad committed Christians and, praise God, um, they uh, taught me the ways of Jesus and I've continued in that, uh, evidenced by this morning, uh, but also my brothers as well who stayed true to the faith. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the way in which they nurtured my faith um, and I think within that, the way they loved me as well, because they not only talked to me about Jesus, but they showed me something of the love of God um, in my life. And I'm just so grateful to them uh, for that. Here comes the but. When I was growing up, I remember that actually there were times where I was really embarrassed about my faith. I'm a bit ashamed to, to say that this morning, but I was embarrassed about my faith, particularly as a, as a boy, um, when I was sort of 10 or 11 um, you know, it just wasn't a cool thing to be a, be a Christian. And I remember my parents who did a lot in the town as well as being part of the church. They would, um, go into schools and do work in schools, um, as, as volunteers, uh, uh sort of proclaiming Jesus. And also they would, um, do, uh, carols outside the church that I used to worship at on the main street in our town. And so they used to do this each year. And then one year they decided to haul me along as well. And it was my job to give out the flyers for the Christmas services that were coming up. And I was, I was quite shy anyway. But the idea of having to do this, given that I was embarrassed as well about everyone else knowing that I was a Christian, I hated it. I kind of cringed inside and I, I, I took every opportunity to hide behind an adult who was giving out uh, the flyers and also um, try and stand to one side. And I was constantly looking up and down the street, checking to see that none of my school friends uh, were coming up the street because I couldn't hack them seeing me and then ripping it out of me on Monday morning. And so that was my experience. I don't know if that resonates with anyone here this morning, but you know, I, I guess many of us have those moments where we can feel a bit embarrassed about our faith. Um, but I, uh, several years later, at the age of 17, when I was at college, um, I just remember, I don't know what it was, I guess it proves the Holy Spirit, but I just decided that actually I wanted to be different. I wanted to be someone who put God first. I, want, I decided that I wanted actually not to be embarrassed about my faith, but to say, actually, Jesus has done something wonderful for me. Come and see it, and I'm willing to talk about this. And I guess for all of us, there's an experience for each of us that we know that God is inside us, um, but sometimes we can get diverted, sometimes life circumstances or other priorities come in. And if we look at the uh, history of Israel, we see time and time again that it almost goes through this cycle of desperation, calling out to God, God blessing immensely, bringing salvation. And then, uh, then in that place of ble- blessing, people forgetting um, who God is. And what he actually brought. And you know, there are so many things that I celebrate in my own life. I think about my, my wife, my family, um, the, the resources, the financial resources God has given us, my work, um, material possessions, pleasure, friends, so many good things that I believe God has given to me. And sometimes we can kind of almost 
um, have a negative spin on those things. But actually, as followers of Christ, it's great that when God blesses us, we should celebrate those things. But the thing within that is that we make sure that we prioritize God within that. That actually those things don't take center stage, but God takes center stage and those things are secondary. And it's interesting as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 10 to 12, uh, we read this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And I believe this morning that God wants to highlight those words, do not forget the Lord. You might think, well, that's obvious, Josh. We've not forgotten the Lord. We've come to church this morning. Why are you telling me not to forget? But if you're anything like me, it's so easy to forget. You know, in our day-to-day lives, we can forget that God is alongside us, that he's with us. And we can forget that actually, you know, we're called to put God number one. But actually, that putting God number one doesn't come through a rigid set of following this law and that law. It comes out of a heart's desire. And I believe this morning that God wants to stir our hearts anew um, to, to following him and be passionate about him. And I don't know if you ever remember a time where even at the name of Jesus, your heart was stirred. I don't know if you remember a time where actually you were so passionate about Jesus that it was just so natural to talk to people about him, whether Christians or others. I don't know if you've ever had a time where you've been so overwhelmed by God's presence, his love feels so close You feel that intimacy with God. And even if there's a seed there or something that I've just said or something else, um, I just want to call us back to God this morning. I want to say, let's pursue him. Let's press in to all that God has in store for us. Let's respond to God's passion for us and allow his passion and his desire for us overspill in a passion and desire first and foremost for him. And so a question for each one of us, are we up for that this morning? Do we want more passion for Jesus? Do we want to be people who are known for our passion, but not even just simply people who are known, but in our heart's desire, that is our greatest desire, not to be seen to be passionate, but to actually be passionate in the inner core of who we are, that that is our central desire. And for some of us, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we may have wandered a bit. We may have wandered off course for others you know, our faith is just kind of, we're just rolling along. Um, and, but wherever we are, God wants to say, come to me. Come near to God. Come to me. And I'm going to rekindle that which has been doused, that which is perhaps the flame which has gone out or has become less. And this isn't about judging ourselves or judging other people. It's about acknowledging the reality of where we are so that we may pursue where God wants us to be and invites us to be for his glory, but also for our blessing as well. Um, Tozer, a great writer of the last century, um, great man of prayer, said this. There are to be found increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. They are eager for, eager for spiritual realities and will not be put off with words nor will they be content with current interpretations. They are a thirst for God, and they will not be satisfied 
till they have drunk deep at the fountain of the living water. Do you want that? Do you want to be a thirst for God? Do you want to have that desire that actually unless you drink deeply uh, at the fountain of living water that you will not be satisfied? I know sometimes I can be satisfied at too low a level. I know that God wants to help me to pursue him and seek him um, for all that he's got because God is good and he's got good things for us and he wants us to experience the fullness of that. And so as we explore this, I just want us to go into James and just think about some of the things that James has to say about this. Um, we're going to um, delve a bit into the scriptures as well and look at a bit of a context there as well. So I hope uh, you're, you're up for that. And uh, do feel free to open your Bibles as well. It might be helpful just so that you're reading and testing what I'm saying, but also thinking, you know, what is God saying to me this morning through the scriptures? And so we're going we're gonna to start from uh, James chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3 and just unpack this. So um, the first point, I'm going to make four points. The first one is... Uh, the call to have our hearts on fire for God, which I've already touched on. But I believe at the center of who we are, God wants to ignite desire within us for him. Last week, I talked a bit about this, didn't I? I talked about how actually our words come ultimately from our hearts. They don't come primarily from our our, our lips, they don't come from our tongues, but they come from our hearts. And uh, Matthew twelve thirty four says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, the words we use come from our hearts. And so there's something about our desires that they are aligned with who God is. James uh, 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from where? From your desires that battle within you. Those fights, those quarrels, those tensions, those difficulties, those uh, angry thoughts, they all come from the desires that battle within us, as James puts it. And it would appear, I'm very pleased to say that this isn't the case to my knowledge at St. James, it would appear that the church that uh, James is writing to, that there was literally physical fighting going on. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but commentators agree that James probably isn't simply using a metaphor here, but there was actually some kind of physical animosity going on um, in the church. Now, uh, that's no license for after this service to get into fisticuffs over coffee, okay? Um, we're actually very civilized at St. James, aren't we? But, but, I, but I think it's it, underneath this, of course, it's the motives that James is really talking about. And so it's how that all works out. And so um, we, uh, <clears throat> we read on and we see in this passage that James is calling us uh, to love one another. And we'll come to that in uh, just a moment. But if we, go, if we go on in verse 2, James makes it clear that certain expressions of behavior come out of desire. So in verse 2, James says this, you desire, what you, but you do not have, so you kill. He then goes on to say, you covet, another desire, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. And so it's this behavior that's coming out of the desires in our hearts. And God wants to transform these desires and give us a passion for him. The Greek word for desire is hedone. I think that's how you pronounce it. And this is where we get our word hedonism. 
And the implication here is that actually it's the evil desires, you know, because in our language, desire is a fairly neutral word, but the desire that's translated from the Greek here is very much a negative desire. And hedonism, obviously, very much about self-indulgence, the pursuit of pleasure above other priorities. And this was leading in the community that James is writing to, to uh, quarreling and fighting. Now, today, of course, is... Uh, Remembrance Sunday. Um, we are going to do an act of remembrance, as Anne said, by the way, um, and we'll be doing that at 11 o'clock. So at whatever point uh, 11 o'clock comes, I will pause my sermon, we'll do the act, and then we'll return um, to what uh, I'm speaking about. Um, today is Re- Remembrance Sunday, uh, we, where we remember all those who fought in the war. And I'm just so grateful to the blessing of their sacrifice, that those people who gave up their lives, the freedom we've gotten. You know, we've lived an unparalleled length of time of freedom and of peace in this country. And it's so easy for us to take that for granted. But it was based on the sacrifice of those few people that has resulted in the peace that we have uh, today. But of course, that conflict uh, particularly came out of evil desire. We think about the Nazis, we think about the actions that they carried out in the Second World War, where they sought to destroy a people group, where millions and millions of Jews were killed, there were many other people who were killed, and that came from an evil desire. I'd go as far to say a demonic desire, and that resulted in uh, unparalleled bloodshed, not only uh, for soldiers, but civilians, everyone was affected. And they were motivated by evil desire. Today we live in uncertain times, don't we, when we think about Brexit and all the angst and turmoil that surrounds that. And that can leave us feeling, uh, feeling uh, not knowing where things are going to go. It can leave us with desires that perhaps are not of God. It can lead to quarreling and it can lead to fighting. We'll have seen that on the news, that this is the result. But God wants us as the people of God to be different. He wants us to be prophetic, um, that we can be a symbol and a sign to the world around us. But more than that, he wants us to be a people whose desires are for him. And he doesn't want us to be fighting and quarreling. You know, a few months back, I came across this wonderful phrase, uh, red hot center. And those of you who like fires, I'm one of those people, lighting fires and getting the fires to work in the best way they can, will know that uh, if you've got a coal fire particularly, that if you've got coals that are spread out, the fire is unlikely to build and take off. What do you need to do? You need to move all the coals together. You need to put some heat under it. You need to heat up those coals. When they get red hot, you've got a really powerful fire. And then you can build other things around it, which enable the fire to really grow and develop. And you know what? We're a bit like coals. We're not very good alone, but together we warm up. And that's definitely the case for our faith. That as we stand together, as we grow together, God builds this passion, this fire, and this desire for him. And so my call to us is let's turn those desires that so often can be uh, polluted by other things by the ways of the world, by others' example, let's allow the fire of God to ignite our hearts with a passion that seeks him and his call on our lives. And so that's the first, the call to have hearts that are on fire for God. The second is 
the call to repentance. James chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. Um, right at the center of uh, Christian discipleship is, of course, our call to repentance. If we look at, in fact, Jesus' first words in Mark chapter 1 and verses 14 to 15, what does he say? Well, he says this, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The call to repentance is central to discipleship. It's the beginning of discipleship, but it's the ongoing growth that comes within discipleship as well. We're called to become more like Jesus, and in becoming more like Jesus, we need to turn away from our old life and look forward to the life that he brings to us. And one commentator has said that the passage that we have in James um, is perhaps one of the strongest calls to repentance that we have in the Bible. It is one of the strongest calls. And you'll see from the language that it is very, very strong. Okay, this is a health warning. And I think probably if I addressed you in this way, half of you would probably walk out and uh, maybe even write a letter to the bishop. I don't know. Um, but, but when we look at how James addresses uh, the people he's writing to in the rest of the book, it's amazing. He, he speaks to them with affection. Just to give us examples, um, he says brothers and sisters in verses uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and other, other uh, passages as well. He, uh, he goes even stronger than that and addresses them as my dear brothers and sisters as well. So there's this great affection and great joy as a pastor as he thinks about the people he's writing to. But this is how he addresses them at this point when he's talking about repentance. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James is being really strong here and he's saying, You need to turn your backs on the things that are not of me. You need to turn to me. And so what does he mean by this expression, adulterous people? Well, some of us will be aware that in the Old Testament, there's this real uh, picture of uh, the, the people of God as in this marriage relationship with God. We firstly looked at the call to have our hearts on fire for God. And we've also talked about the call to repentance. And I've just been talking about the language in which James addresses the people that he's writing to, that he says to them, you adulterous people. And I was just saying that this comes in the context of particularly an Old Testament understanding of the relationship between Israel and with God. And there's a verse that really helps us to understand this. If we look at Isaiah chapter 54 and verses 5 to 6, we read this. I think the words will come up on the screen. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. And so here we get this picture of the generosity of God, the, the love of God as a husband for Israel, his wife. 
And we see in the New Testament, this language is picked up as well. Uh, we see this in Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, we read, he answered the Pharisees, that is, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so Jesus uses that word adulterous uh, as well to talk about the Pharisees uh, and their uh, approach to life and faith. And then uh, in, in our passage this morning, James is really saying that the relationship that we have with God is supposed to be reserved only for God. He's saying that actually our heart's desires, our single priority in life should be devoted to him. Here's the number one focus. Now, James then goes on to explain this a bit more, and he talks about friendship. So he uses two different kinds of relationships. He uses the marriage relationship, and now he's talking about friendship and how this explains how we're really called to prioritize God above everything else. And it's important to recognize that friendship in that day and age is very different to being friends on Facebook or being friends with your best friend. There was a much more formalized understanding of friendship. And in the ancient world, friendship involved sharing all things uh, and both a unity spiritually and practically. And so there was a really strong bond um, in this sense of friendship. And so uh, James then says in verse, um, verse six, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? And so there's this sense of jealousy godly jealousy that God has for us, that he longs for us. Um, it's very important to say that God isn't narcissistic. You know, he's not saying, well, I want everyone to look at me um, because I need this and this is important for me. But what this is about is saying that God is our creator. He's made us in, a, in his image and he's made us with both the desire and the need to be in relationship with him. And so as we look elsewhere and seek fulfillment elsewhere, that brings detriment and it brings harm to us. And so he's got our best intentions in mind. And the wonderful thing about God is that, you know, God gives us challenge. As, uh, recently, we've been doing some sermon feedback forms. And uh, one of the things that was fed back, it's really good to have challenge. Uh, and God wants to challenge us. He wants to challenge us to come back to him. Alongside that, God has a measurable grace. He lavishes his grace upon us. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And we'll come on to humility in a moment. But I just want us to dwell on this for a minute. This grace of God. He wants to give us more grace. God always gives us another chance. Even when we turn our backs on him, he says, I give you more grace. Just in the story of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son left the father, the father says, I will give you more grace. Where you may feel this morning that your hearts have grown cold for God. He says, I give you more grace. Where you feel this morning, do you know what? I've really messed up. I've messed up with my family or my work colleagues or someone else. God says, I give you more grace. God's grace is abundance. We can respond to that grace this morning and say yes to God. 
Yes, I lay myself before you and I receive that grace from you. God gives us more grace. All we need to do is say yes to him and allow that to permeate us and fill us. And so there's this call to have hearts on fire. There's this call to repentance. Thirdly, there's this call to humility. The great preacher Jonathan Edwards says this, we must view humanity, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterize true Christianity. And this is central to verses 7 to 10 in this passage this morning. We haven't got time to unpick all of it. Um, But essentially, James lists a whole load of things here of how we are called to be humble before him. And it's interesting that he actually bookends them. So he uses a, a little device here to help us see the end and the beginning of him stressing the significance of humility. So if we look at verse 7 and 10, we see that they are very similar. So verse 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. And then verse 10 says, humble yourselves before God. And we see that humility and submission are very similar. We're called to bring ourselves before him. And he bookends this. And then between, he includes all these different things of what humility looks like. There's this great story about um, Franklin D. Roosevelt, one of the presidents of the United States. And he used to have a little ritual regularly just to help him to remember his own significance, or should I say, his lack of significance compared to the realities of the wider world and compared to God. And he used to do this with William Beebe, who was a naturalist. And after an evening's chat, the two men would go outside and look into the night sky. Gazing at the stars, they would find the lower left-hand corner of the big square of Pegasus. One of them would recite these words as part of their ritual. That is a, that is a spiral of galaxy of the Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. They would then pause. And then Roosevelt would say, now I think we feel small enough. Let's go back in. And that's a wonderful picture of humility. It's not about degrading ourselves or pushing ourselves down, but it's actually recognizing our true position, um, firstly before God and then before others as well. And we're called to be bold. We're called to stand up. We're called to uh, lead into what God has given to us, but in the context of recognizing who God is. You know, so often the rightful place before God is on our knees, sometimes literally, but also in our hearts. And James then goes on to talk through what this humility looks like. We have the next slide up. We kind of get a picture of this and um, James unpacks this in the different words that are going to come up now that kind of outline what those different things are uh, within our relationship with him. And so he talks about resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And James pairs these things together and in a sense giving the different sides to them. So in resisting the devil, he will flee from you. In one sense, that's the other side of come near to God and he will come near to you. Because actually as we come near to God, we are in fact resisting the devil as well. And we have been given that authority 
uh, in our humility and our recognition of our position before God, that we can resist Satan. So when he puts desires or thoughts in our minds that are contrary to who God is and what he calls us to, we can resist those things. Uh, Then James goes on to say, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, this is about our our humility and recognizing our repentance is both the actions that we do with our hands, symbolic of our bodies, uh, but also it's about our hearts, the desires that we have, the thoughts that we think, that God wants us to align those with him. And then it talks about grieving, mourning, and wailing, I'm not saying that we all have to grieve, mourn, and wail this morning in our service. Um, But again, James is using language that was used in the Old Testament to depict humility and to show our position before him. And when uh, James here talks particularly about joy, he's talking, um, change your laughter to mourning and change your joy to gloom. He's not saying that we all have to walk around looking somber. But James, again, is speaking out of his context. James is a brilliant contextual uh, letter writer because he picked up on different things within his culture and applied it. And he's speaking specifically um, about what laughter depicted in his culture, that often it was uh, seen as that of the fool. You know, we see some of this in, uh, in the book of Proverbs, that uh, people who were foolish were often described in this way now of course i'm sure there were people who laughed in the ancient world and they weren't seen as fools but there was a marrying together of these two uh, ideas and in fact you know in the new testament we see this great um, call on us if we see in philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice and so what james is saying here is actually yes of course we're called to joy of course we're called to rejoice but we're called to rejoice in the Lord. Let's not get sidetracked by the other things that so easily are insignificant, that are superficial. Let's rejoice in the Lord. And so they're the first three points, the call to have hearts on fire for God, the call to repentance, the call to humility, and fourthly and finally, the call to love. And those of you who are astute this morning will think, why on earth are you talking about love, Josh? It doesn't mention love once um, in verses 11 to 12. In fact, it doesn't mention love in the whole passage that we've read this morning. So why on earth am I talking about love? Aren't you just going on a ta- off on a tangent, Josh? And I haven't got your own agenda and what you're trying to say. Well, actually, let's just unpick for a moment what James is saying here, that actually he wants to bring something to us. And this is the really great thing about Scripture, that when we delve a bit deeper we bring out treasures and we bring out things that we didn't see there um, initially. I certainly didn't see it there until I had some commentaries help me to understand this a bit better. But James says in chapter 4 and verses 11 to 12, he says, Brothers and sisters, James has returned to the language of affection. Isn't that wonderful? He's no longer calling the adulterous people. He's saying, brothers and sisters. And he says, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And James, in a sense, is, re- is returning to some of the things he was saying last week about our words And the words we speak and the impact they have on others, he talks about not slandering. Um, But the the significant thing here in in this verse is that 
that draws out this focus on love is that if we look at um, the, the first part of that verse of verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. That phrase is likely to come directly from Leviticus. Okay, so it would seem to be a direct quote. So if we look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16, we read, do not go about spreading slander among your people. You see the, see the similarity there? If you look on the screen, you can see brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. And then uh, do not go about spreading slander among your people. And so there's a comparative there. Um, but then James goes on and he says in verse, uh, sorry, James doesn't go on. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it goes on to say, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And it's as if James is saying, don't judge the law. Don't judge the law. The law is about love. It's about loving God and loving one another. And so James here implicitly is saying, the call to love is the greatest call of all. And this morning, God wants us to respond to that call of love because actually of all the calls I spoke about this morning, the highest call is the call to love. The call firstly to love God, but then love one another. In fact, the call to have hearts on fire for God is to love God. The call to repentance is in fact a call to love God. A call to humility is a call to love God. And so we're called into this place of love. 1 John three sixteen to 18 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Are you ready this morning to have your desires and your passions reignited with a longing for Jesus? That's what he invites us to this morning. He wants to spark our emotions. And if we remember last week, the power of one spark to light a forest. He wants to give us one spark to ignite our hearts that we would be on fire for him.